just, I guess, while you're mingling. I don't even like the word mingling, by the way, but I'll use it. If you haven't got your commun- your little communion cup with you, why don't you get that? Because after the sermon, after preaching, we're going to take communion together as a church. So the guys at the back will have those uh, if you need them. Or you can just stick up your hand and we'll get one to you. Everyone stopped mingling now and started listening. So just in case you're wondering, uh, it is half time and Canada have scored the first goal but now are losing. They're losing, unfortunately, 2-1 to Croatia. So if I stop, um, you know that I will be deeply in prayer praying for our national team. I'm not sure my prayers were heard for England, though, but there you go. But, hey, welcome home. It is the first Sunday of Advent, and welcome home if you're in the room. Great to have you with us, and welcome home for those that have joined us online. If you're a guest with us today, you're welcome here. Make yourself at home. If you call Circle Home and you've been around for a week, or for much, much longer, I'm not naming any names or giving any times, but... You are welcome here as well, and still feel at home. I want to take just a moment before I start speaking to do some pastor stuff. There's some great things as a pastor that we get to do uh, as part of our role, weddings and child dedications and those things. There's, There's privileged things that we have to do as well, get to do taking people's funeral. It is a privilege and an honor to be standing with people at their worst time. But then there's other stuff that we just need to bring to the church as well, to bring direction and sometimes even correction. Can I say, we are part of a community here, and being part of any community whatsoever means that there are some preferences that we have that we do not get to have within that community. There are things that we like, but we choose to put aside those preferences because of the greater good or for the mission of the community that we're part of. It might be a sports community. It might be a a book-reading community, or it might be a church followers of Jesus community. So there are certain things that we put up with. Now, Most of those preferences are generally not about things that are illegal, immoral, unethical, or unbiblical. They are just things that we don't like. Now, I'm not saying everything, but many of the things, many of the things that we actually have some of the biggest arguments about. The color of the walls, for instance. You may laugh, but you'd be surprised. Chairs or pews. The color of the chairs or pews. How people dress, if the preacher wears a hat when they preach, which version of the Bible is used, the style of music or the volume of music. You see, none of those that I've mentioned, and there are many others, are foundational beliefs or doctrines. They are just preferences and preferences only. And no community is going to bow to my, even as the pastor, or your preference because the person across the room has different ones. 
You are not the only person that makes choices. So if you aggressively pursue your preferences, there will be a problem. You are welcome to constructively give your opinion on your preferences. It may not always be acted upon. But it will be given due consideration if you, if you treat others with respect and honor. Are you still with me, church? Good. But if you do those things with aggressive notes or passive-aggressive notes even, or aggressive confrontations, you will get nowhere. And if you think I'm talking about you, you are free to make an appointment with me to speak to me. But you are not free to aggressively confront any of our staff or any of our hardworking, incredible volunteers that give freely of their time, effort, and resources. I hope you're hearing me when I say that. Because, thank you, I do say that with love. I love my church. Not, not the building. I'm not talking about the building. I'm not even talking about the things that we do. I'm talking about you. But sometimes love involves saying things that are difficult to hear. And I say this with love, but also with the assurance that God has called me to lead this group of people, you, an incredible group of people, on our mission to bring the lost home. Can we pray? Father God, I thank you for your word. I pray that even with the things that I've said before this, God, that people's hearts and minds will be open to what you want to say to us. I pray especially for the lost, as Danae has already talked about those that are feeling lost and maybe even broken today. Pray, God, that what they hear will bring hope, will bring assurance, will bring, above all, will bring you. Pray for those that do not know you at all, whether they're in this room or listening online. God, I pray that whatever, whatever is said, whatever is sung, whatever is done, God will draw people's attention to you. In the name of Jesus, we agree together and said, Amen. So a few years ago, Dee and I went to Paris. And we went there to, to preach at a church and meet with friends. And it was an incredible, incredible weekend. But it was one of those stupid o'clock flights. You know the ones that they tend to give to Saskatoon? And even the sensible times tend to be stupid. I said to, to, to one of our staff members who's heading off tomorrow, I said, what time is your flight? She said, oh, it's not too bad. It's 6.45. But that means you have to be there at 4.45 at the latest. So ours was a 6 a.m. flight, and we had to be there at 4 a.m., and as is usual with Newcastle, sorry for those that are listening from Newcastle, it was cold. I know that's like it here, but it was cold and wet, just miserable. But the plane was packed with excited kids and, can I say, a lot of excited adults as well. Why? Because they were going to Disneyland Paris. Oh, yeah. Why were they excited? Was it because of the weather conditions or that stupid o'clock morning flight? I very much doubt it. 
It had nothing to do with the external circumstances that they currently found themselves in. They were excited because they knew what they were heading towards. Some of them may have been there before. So they knew about what was, what was going to happen and what they were going to meet there. But there were some and many who'd never been there before and they were excited as well. But why, why would they be excited if they've never been there before? Why, if they've never experienced Disneyland, now I've, I've been to Disney World, and I'm sorry if there's any French people in the congregation, but Disneyland Paris is nothing on Disney World. But it was still an experience. But if they'd never been there before, why were they still excited? You see, they were heading there in hope. And I want to talk to us this morning about hope. What I, what I actually mean by hope as well, because we can use the word and not really understand what it means. And so today, it's the start of Advent. And traditionally, within the rhythm of the Christian calendar, we light candles. Yes. And so each week, we will be lighting the different candles and explaining what they actually mean. Today is hope. And Advent, the word, actually means the coming of or the arrival of. And so the whole season really is about great expectations. The whole season is about hope. But I want to set the theme of Advent, the, the four different areas of, of Advent, within a bigger theme. And if you've been around church or, or, or know anything about, I guess, church words, there's this couple of words called imago dei. It simply means the image of God. And really, I, I want to set the next four weeks with the different speakers that we're going to have. The theme of Advent, but yes, within the theme of of the image of God. The image of God is, is about God creating himself in humankind and being our source, our source of hope, our source of peace, our source of love, and our source of joy. You see, Advent, this Advent time, is, is not just us waiting for hope, for peace, for love, for joy. It is already celebrating the arrival of the bringer and source of hope, peace, love, and joy. We, in, the, in, in Genesis, God says, let's make man or humankind in our image. That means he placed something of himself, a likeness of himself, in the people, humankind, the people that he loves. So we carry his likeness. So when you think about that, if we're carrying the likeness, the imago dei of God, it wasn't just Jesus that brought hope, peace, joy, and love in the past. We are now commissioned to do that as his followers, to do exactly the same in the present and in the future. Why? Because they are bound up in the person of Jesus. We carry his likeness and therefore we carry what he brings to humankind. 
When we look back in history, at the time of Jesus, it was, a, it was a time of turmoil. It was a time when countries were invading other lands. It was a time when, when people were desperate for someone to rise up and be their rescuer, their savior, their bringer of peace. They were desperate for a hero. It was a time of waiting, but it was also a time of hope. The Jews were waiting for that person to be their light. So what does the image of God tell us about hope and what does God and what does hope tell us about the image of God? Today it's 28 days to Christmas. Some of you wouldn't have a clue, but I can guarantee pretty much every single kid or every single person with an app is now counting down those days. And to those of you who have already put up your Christmas decorations, you're psychopaths. Let me just say that. Needs to wait till December. I know we're in Advent. That's no excuse whatsoever. (laughs) I don't... That's just about the best response ever I've heard from someone shouting at a preacher. I don't know if you heard it, but someone shouted out, That's your preference. (laughs) Just remember, I'm the pastor and I have the microphone. But the question, ah, bring it back in the room, bring it back in the room. The question we ask kids when we speak to them is, what are you, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? Is it a new PlayStation 5? Maybe it's an updated Tamagotchi. I'm really sorry, but yes, they're back. Maybe, maybe it's a 3D printer for some kids. But in reality, all of us are hoping for something. It might be a long holiday in Hawaii or Mexico. It might be for me, let me just check my watch now, I've had no, no new notifications through. It might be for Canada to win the World Cup. For one or two of us, it might be for England to win the World Cup. It's going to be a tough day if England versus Canada in the World Cup final for me. Actually, it's going to be a tough day anyway because it starts at, uh, is it nine, 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning? Not quite sure what I'm going to do. Anyway, back to where where we were. What are we hoping for? A wife, a husband, a job. Lots of snow this winter. No snow this winter. Maybe for some of you it's recovery from illness. And some of these things are actually, when we say we're hoping for something, it's more wishful thinking, not real hope. And some of our hope actually is wishful thinking. Hot chocolate fudge cake will be the new diet fad. Oh, yes. There will never, ever, 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 ever be another episode or series of Big Brother Canada. The riders will bring, will win the Grey Cup next season. It's always next season. The people won't put up their decorations until December. There we go. That's wishful thinking. I guess the problem is not having hope, but what we think hope is, and as with many Biblical issues is where we place our hope. What direction do we face our hope? And hope has been defined by as, sorry, a confident expectation of a better future. We can put our strong, confident expectation in our relationships, our job, our family, our health, the economy. 
But I want you to think about it this way. What will help us face tomorrow? We can have our faith or our our hope placed in many things. And what we place it in will decide whether we can face tomorrow or not. What What will help us proceed with confidence, not caution? Remember when Judah was much younger and he would come into our bedroom on a night and generally he would head to Dee's side of the bed with confidence because he knows that she will let him get into the bed because she can't be bothered to take him back to the bed and she will let him sleep in the bed but I would take him back to his own bedroom. But, now you're thinking I'm a bad dad, but you see, if he needed to go to the toilet... He would come to my side of the bed with confidence, knowing that I would take him to the toilet and Dee would not. He would proceed into our bedrooms with confidence in whatever he wanted to do, not with caution. And the kids that I talked about earlier that we saw on that plane were heading to Paris, not with wishful thinking, but with a strong and confident expectation of a great weekend, whatever the weather was like in Paris. When we read through the Bible, there are some strong themes. Grace, love, joy, peace, but also hope is one of the strong themes that we read right throughout the meta-narrative of the Bible, the overarching narrative. Hope, a strong and confident expectation of a better future. In the Bible, we read an account of some men who set off on a hope-filled journey. They weren't going to Disneyland, but they were full of hope. Luke 2, and this is from the, the message version, I want to read this. It says this, there were shepherds camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly, God's angels stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. Sometimes do you not think the Bible understates things? If that happened to anyone here, most of us wouldn't just be frightened, as it says in some versions. There would be changes of underwear that were definitely needed the next day. They were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody Worldwide, A savior has been born in David's town. A Messiah, a savior who is the Messiah and master. This is what you are to look for. A baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. At once the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who please him. As the angel choir withdrew to heaven. The shepherds talked it over. Let's go to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. They left, running, found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Seeing was believing. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. All who heard the shepherds were impressed. You see, the Christmas story, the account of Christmas, not Santa Claus, not the Grinch, But the actual account of Jesus' birth is a story of the journey of hope. The shepherds set off on a journey of hope. They've been given 
I guess, a, a clue where to go. And they set off with excitement to go and found, find what the angel had been told, telling them about. It's almost like they'd been told about Disneyland by Mickey Mouse himself. But I, I often wonder some of the, the things that you don't read in the Bible, but are there anyway. What was going through the shepherds' heads as they, as they left what the angels had, t- as they left that, that environment where the angels had told them? What were they thinking about? We're not told that. We can't, you know, we can't make a theology or a doctrine about it. But if it had been me, I know there'd have been lots of questions. What have I just seen? Was, was that me or did we just have a mass hallucination? What, what are we heading towards? If, if this person is real, it is the person that we have been waiting for for many hundreds of years. Are we actually going to see the one who will finally, finally rescue us from the Romans? Is God really going to do what he promised? They'd they'd just seen angels singing. And if you see angels singing, I think they probably believed that anything could be true after that. What would they find at their destination? What are we going to find when we get there? Did the angel actually say, baby? Do, do, Do we need a baby or do we need a warrior? What did they say? Maybe I missed it. And all of these things potentially going through their minds as they set off to find the one who in their thinking was going to rescue them from the Romans. I wonder if he's going to arrive with armies. I wonder if, the, if we just find a person, are the armies going to come later? But what they journeyed in was hope for a savior. They arrived and actually found a baby. A baby, as the angel said, that was wrapped in a cloth, lying in a manger. Not a, a nice, clean crib that, you know, when you go and have your baby and they, you take your baby away from hospital, I don't know, I'd imagine it's very similar here. They make sure that the car seat is in, is, is, a, is a reliable car seat, that it's fitted well, that the baby's strapped in to make sure you can get the baby home. It wasn't like that. It was full of straw. A manger is what cattle eat from. Not a, a sanitized version that you'll often see in, in, in the, uh, the nativity scenes. Full of probably animal saliva. That's the reality of what Jesus was born into. And they arrive in this place and find Jesus. The savior. The rescuer. The person that's going to take them out of their lowly position under the Romans. And what do they find? I wonder how their hope was at that moment. It's probably a bit like heading to Disneyland and finding a swing, a roundabout, and a seesaw. But it says they were excited. It says that they held on to hope because they met the Jesus that the angels had told them about. Maybe they were expecting a leader of an army, but everything the angel had said was true up until that point. So they could rely on what had been promised. 
and what the child would do, which was be a savior. They held on to hope, even if their current circumstances may not have seen like they should have. See, because of past promises and fulfilled promises, they had a confident expectation of a better future. The baby brought hope. And because of that hope, they could proceed with confidence, not with caution. But it says that their hope was contagious. They passed on that hope to other people. And it should be, again, the same with us. When we have a hope, are we passing it on to other people? We've been, we've been quashed and we've been molded by society so often into this. That's your truth. That's, this is my truth. It's good for you. This is good for me. Keep your religion to yourself. But if you have hope, you want to pass it on. Hope for peace. John 16. And this is much later on, 30 or so years ago, later on after the birth of Jesus. It says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. We'll talk about peace next week. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, we can have peace in times of trouble. It is Our peace is not defined. We can have a hope for peace that is not defined by external circumstances. We can have hope for an eternal security, a connection into community, relationship, God's grace, forgiveness. All of this we can place our hope in. Why? Because it's placed in the person of Jesus who is the source of hope. See, Christianity is not just about the now. We have to understand and look at life from an eternal perspective. Jesus didn't say, follow me and everything will be fine. Everything will be rosy. But what he did promise is that it would all work out for good in the end. And we have been promised not just hope, but a living hope. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. His birth, death, and resurrection give us a living hope. What's the definition or one of the definitions of life capable of growth and reproduction? So we have a hope that grows and reproduces in others. We have a hope. Is our hope wishful thinking or is it a strong, confident expectation of a better future? See, for followers of Jesus Christ, hope is not just about the what, it is placed and it is about the who. We don't just have a hope for better circumstances. We have our hope placed in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the source of our hope. Not just about what's, what surrounds us in a particular season of time. Psalm 43 verse 5. This is David. It says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. You see, here's David who was low. And as we look at, at David's life and what he went through, he went through seasons of depression. 
Right? A lot of that depression may have been uh, circumstantial, but he got so low at times. And he said, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my God and my Savior. See, at this time, the Psalms are songs, so David will be singing, but he's actually, sing- he's actually preaching to himself. How many times do we, do we go to YouTube or, or go to the, our latest and greatest favorite preachers podcast or, or even wait until Sunday? David here preaches to himself. We need to learn not just to wait for me or whoever's preaching here, but to begin to preach to ourselves. The best way to preach to yourself? Go to the Word of God and read Scripture out loud. It will build hope in us. For the kids heading to Disneyland, their hope was not based on the weather, the time, the day of the flight, or even, even what they may have been going through back in their home situation. Their confident expectation was based on what they knew and the promises that they had been given. Their confident expectation was because they trusted their parents or caregivers. We have hope more in the who than the what. I want to, to remember that in whatever our circumstances, whatever it is that we are hoping for, it is more about the who than the what. doesn't stop us hoping for different circumstances, praying for healing, but the healing comes from Jesus. He is the source. The provision comes from Jesus who is the source. And our hope is based on the person we place our hope in. And God is the source of our hope. If we trust the messenger, we can trust the message. We have a strong and confident expectation in the future because of what happened in the past. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 says this, But it was preached that Christ had been raised from the dead. How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. I want you to remember the time that this was written. This was written by Paul not long after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So he would have been writing to people who were either around and saw it or had heard other people talk about it. This wasn't, we're reading it now thinking, is that really true? You know, 2,000 years, myths, fables build up. No, Paul is writing to a group of people who knew people. Who would have been around and be able to say, yes, I was there. I saw it. Verse 19 states that our hope is not only for this life but beyond. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, who, bore, who was born, lived, died, and rose again so that we could be forgiven and come back into relationship with God, our maker. See, he completed that work of grace, of restoration of relationship. If he can overcome the grave, if he is sovereign, then surely, surely our hope should be placed in him. Surely, if we have hope in him, then we should also, as followers of Jesus, be filling others with that same hope. We have a mission. Not bring the lost to church. Bring the hopeless to the source of hope. I do believe that we should bring people to church. And I want to encourage us to think about that as we head towards Christmas, as we head towards our New Year, uh, not New Year, as our Christmas Eve service. Who are you going to invite? Who are you asking already to say, come on, come with me? And hope is not wrapping people up in rules and regulations. It is showing that Jesus is full of grace and accepts people just the way they are. The broken, the lost, the hurt, and the hopeless. So let me ask you, what do you place your hope in? Your boss? Your favorite political party? Your family? Your pastor? Your pension? Or is our source of hope Jesus? And then, if our source of hope is Jesus, are we passing that source of hope onto the world? Or are we passing on a set of rules to live by, to be better people, have a better lifestyle, a better way of doing church, or the person of Jesus, the hope of the world. See, we have a hope for this world and for the next. Let me go back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, if only for this life. See, it says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're of all people most to be pitied. But it is saying in that it is implicit that we have hope in this life. But not just for this life, for the next life. There is an eternal hope that we have. C.S. Lewis said this, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. Pie in the sky when we die, as it's been put. That's not C.S. Lewis. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave this present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. See, we have a role, a mission, a commission in this world, which is to bring Jesus. And Jesus will bring change. Our hope is based on an eternal perspective. A hope for both this world and for the next. Our hope for the next world enables us just not just to cope with, but to bring change to this world. We have a hope. But because we are made in the image of God, we are also commissioned to bring the source of hope. Be a vehicle of hope. How do we hope? How do we encourage and fill people with hope? We continually point people to God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, it says in the Bible. Point people to the King of Kings, the giver of grace, the bringer of peace, the restorer of souls, the victor over death. I guess, as I said before, the problem is not having hope 
but what we think hope is and where we place it. So what does help you face tomorrow? What we have our hope placed in will decide whether we can face the future, face tomorrow with caution or confidence. One of my favorite songs always has been, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone. What an incredible, simple declaration. Because He Lives. We can see that God, through His Word and through, through the stories of people in this room and outside of this room, we can see that God has always kept His promises. In the past, and will continue to do so in the present and into the future. So Jesus is both the source of our hope and the bringer of our hope. This Advent, our hope is in Jesus and from Jesus. So that today, like those kids on the plane, like the shepherds, we are on a journey towards Christmas. Towards a destination filled with hope. But will it be a journey of wishful thinking or a journey of confident expectation of a better future? I'm speaking both to those people that know Jesus. Because being a follower of Jesus doesn't exempt us from entering into a place of hopelessness. Because we can get so focused so bowed down, so beaten down by external circumstances that we lose hope or our hope becomes less and less. We have a confidence in our future because of what Jesus did in the past and continues to do in the present. And for those of you that have never met Jesus or maybe those of you that have made a decision to follow him and walk away, in a moment I'm going to give you an opportunity to come back. A challenge to come back or to come to Jesus, the source and bringer of hope for the first time. Who will give us a strong, confident expectation of a better future, despite maybe current circumstances. This Christmas time, we're reminded that this baby Jesus who came into the world came to bring forgiveness. Freedom from our past. Life in the present and a hope, both in this life and for the next. Can we pray? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. Jesus, you are the source of our hope. You are the bringer of our hope. You are the person that our hope is anchored in. God, I pray, maybe for those people that are on the edge of hopelessness. God, that maybe something that has been said by me or someone else, or some even the words of the songs that we've sung, God will bring people back from the edge. This morning, as I was just going through my notes again, just keep your heads bowed, please. I'd love for you to do that. Was thinking about hope and and obviously the opposite of hope, hopelessness. 
And I, I don't know whether it was God. I haven't got that clear distinction. But I just want to say, if you're in this room and you, right at this moment, today feel you have no hope. And even the words, the world, my family, my friends will be better off without me. And you're actually right in this moment or in this day contemplating suicide. Can I ask you to come and speak with myself or one of the other pastors? Because there is hope for the future, both in this life and for the next life. You don't have to walk alone. You don't have to sit alone. You don't have to do life alone. And the world will not be better off without you. Don't walk out of this room. Don't walk out of this building. Still feeling that you are not loved, that you are not known. And I loved what what Danae again said. You are known. You won't know everyone, but you are known. There is hope. There is hope for you. And maybe your situation isn't quite as drastic as that. But you are devoid of hope. Come to the source of hope who is Jesus. If you are that person that's contemplated suicide, maybe come and see me. Do you know what? At the end of this service, just when we've sung the last song, I'm going to get up again and I'm going to give, I've done this before. I'm going to give my phone number out. And I want, so that there's no people looking around, I want people to take my number down. You've got it then. You've got it to complain to me later about what I said earlier if you know that that's you this morning it's not just a flashing thought about suicide you've gone through the thoughts in your head call me text me maybe you're in this room and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus I want to give you an opportunity to come to the source of hope the bringer of hope forgiver of sins, the mercy giver, the hope filler. And you are coming not to join a church. I fully believe that you do need to do that. But you are coming to Jesus himself to say, I'm yours. I want you to fill me with hope. I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to make me right with you. Or maybe you're a person that's like the prodigal son, walked away. Come, But today you're here and you're ready to come back to him. Or you're a young person that's grown up in church and your faith relationship with God has always been under the, the umbrella of your caregivers. But today God's saying, I want you for myself. Whether you're in the room or online, you're coming to Jesus to say yes to his love, his grace, his forgiveness. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you know that's you, I'd love to pray with you. And at the end of that prayer, we're going to celebrate as a church because every single decision deserves deserves a celebration. And I, I would love for you to be able to say, I can take communion for the first time, make a decision today. 
So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you know I'm speaking to you, you're coming to Jesus for the first time or you're coming back to him, I want you to just stick your hand in the air. Hopefully I'll see it or one of the team will see it. And then we're going to pray together. We're not going to embarrass people. We're just going to say, say a simple prayer. You're saying yes to Jesus, his love, his grace, his forgiveness. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, I come to you now. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Make me clean. Make me whole. Make me part of your family. I ask for forgiveness of my sin. And I make you my Lord and Savior. From this moment on, I'm now a follower of Jesus. Amen. Come on, church. Why don't we celebrate the decisions, whether they've been in the room or online. going to come around communion and uh, if you made that decision you are welcome to join us in taking communion today if you have come in the room and you didn't get a chance to to get the most fiddly thing on the face of the planet for people with sausage fingers like me I did prepare this one earlier we're going to come around and we're going to take communion. If you haven't got one, just stick your hand in the air and one of the team will get that to you. But I just want to remind us of what Paul, Paul was saying to the church in Corinth, in Corinthians. And he was actually being, he was being pretty harsh. Like some of the things that Paul said, if you think, thought I was harsh earlier, I hope I wasn't. But he was pretty blunt and pretty straight. But he says this about communion. He says, for, what I, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. I want to stop there, just before we take that. In an environment, in a society, in, a, in an age, and I'm making no political statement whatsoever when I say this. When the current thinking is my body my choice Jesus said this my body broken for you how, how incredible is that he, he had the same choice himself but he said my body broken for you and he took the bread if you want to peel off that thin layer at the top which I find so difficult to do Take out the wafer. Just break it. My body broken for you. Eat it. Let it remind you of the body that was broken. Let it remind you of Jesus saying, my body, my choice. But my choice is to have my body broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This represents the blood of Jesus, which was shed. When his body was broken, his blood was shed. So that we 
have our sins forgiven and come back into created order. Drink all of it. I'd like us to get to our feet as we close. Team are going to lead us in one more song, but we're going to pray before we do that. And the prayer that I've, I want us to continue praying every single week as we leave this church is a prayer about how we deal with our week. The three words I want us to remember are opportunity, courage, and wisdom. You see, we have a mission. We don't just come along here, do a nice service, go away, get on with our life. We are on mission. This week, as we, each of us, head out into our world in whatever we're doing, we're praying for opportunity. Opportunity to share Jesus, to bring hope, or to bring the source of hope to people. Whatever we're doing, whether we're in our place of education, work, hanging out in a coffee bar, the prayer, give us opportunity. But then wisdom, or courage actually. Courage to step into that opportunity. Because we can have lots of things placed in front of us and never pick up any of them, but then wisdom to know what to say. Let's pray. Father God, as we close out our service, as we head out into our world, God, those three words I pray will resonate with each of us. That you will, this week, give us opportunity in our place of work, our family, wherever we are in our education place. God, give us opportunity to bring hope to people, to bring you to people, to invite people to church. Give us courage to step into that and give us wisdom to know what to say, how to say it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, church. Team. Oh, is there something else? Just stand there. We're just going to have a team meeting just for a second. We'll get on with the service again. You see, if you wanted slick, it's not going to happen. Because I just not. Oh, what? Oh, yeah, my number. That was it. I was going to do that. I'm, I'm so thankful that I have people around me that tell me what to do. Um, so get out your phone. My number. 306-220-7824. It's that same number for e-transfers as well. <laughs> if you've got any complaints, what's your number, John? Church, it's the first Sunday of Advent, full of hope, full of expectation. Team, lead us.